Animals and Going. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 501. Jason Lingren is with me and Athen Comente returns. You may remember uh, Athen from many past episodes. He is what is referred to as a sidereal astrologer. Basically, maybe the two most common forms of astrology that we see in the Western world is one called tropical, probably where we get most of our definitions and what things mean probably come from tropical or its predecessor, whatever that might have been called. Uh, Sidereal is the idea that you go outside, you look up, what's actually there is what you work with. That's kind of the best definition I can give. If Athen doesn't like that definition when I get him in here, you can get a better one. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. Oh, and a stormy good morning. Stormy for you, huh? Well, we're still waiting for spring. The plants say it's spring. The chipmunks say it's spring, but the weather is still relatively cold. But let's jump in. Welcome, Athen. It's been a while. Hey, guys. Yeah, good to be back. Thank you. Let me actually do a quick search, and I'm going to tell folks where the episodes you've been on. Here they come, if you'd like to know. By the way, if you go while you're logged in to full episodes and mouse over that link, Immediately below it is find a show. There's a search function. On the right is for names. On the left for numbers and keywords. Here's Athens past episodes. 465.5, 381, 349, 327, 287, 244, 202, 186, and lastly, 164. That is a lot of episodes that we've done with you, Athen. Is there anything you want to mention before uh, I jump in and start rapid fire? No, I think that's it. I think your definition of Sidera was great. Just go outside, look at the stars, and uh, try to replicate that into an astrological chart form. You know, at least true sidereal. Unfortunately, you know, what sidereal should be is that. Uh, unfortunately, also mainstream sidereal still use an even 30 degrees, you know, for each of the constellations. But um, yeah, true sidereal, we use the actual sizes because they are actually different sizes. You know, like Aries is much smaller than Pisces, for example. But yeah, sidereal, doing our best to replicate the visual sky into astrological chart form. Athen, before we get going, please let's get all of your contact information out there. Yeah, so masteringthezodiac.com, all kinds of resources there for what I call true sidereal astrology. Uh, there's a chart calculator where you can type in any date, uh, your birth date, or even like these future dates or whatever, and see exactly uh, where these uh, luminaries will be in the sky during these times. And uh, resources there for learning astrology. There's courses. I also do readings for individuals and also a uh, YouTube channel. It's all on the website. You know, I try to veer off <laughs> the YouTube thing. So all the uh, resources at uh, masteringthezodiac.com. All right, before we jump in, let me say this, and this is a big deal. Tropical astrology folk should speak with not only mainstream astronomy folk, but sidereal folk. We have all been denied what I consider to be a birthright. And as an example of that, not knowing certainly what age you're in deprives you of a lot of things like how long have we been here? Where are we? Where can we go from here? What can we expect from this period of time? I would liken the age to a massive macro version of what we call a year. In the same way, I know when I go out in spring, certain things are going to be possible that were not possible 
a couple short months before that in summertime, I know that ease of life will be prominent for most of us. On the flip side, when I get down to December, I know that I'm probably not growing things. The ages are that, um, and they have been recorded, and certain people in the world still have this information, and we do not, mostly, but we're getting back to it, and that's where I'm going to open up with the idea of ages, but it is critically important that we all share our ideas. After all, without a actual handed down valid history of thousands of years of what people experienced and why they attribute the eye of the bull, the red orangey star in, Al, in, in Taurus called Aldebaran, that had a meaning and it was confirmed over generations. Um, that's kind of what we've lost out on, but we're getting back and it's not lost information, but we will have to work to get back to level. And what Atham pointed out is in tropical, most people divide each zodiacal sign into 30 degrees evenly so that you have your nice 360 laid out for you. If you look at the boundaries of the actual zodiacal constellations, like let's take Virgo, it's super big. And it's much bigger than the one that follows it called Libra the Scales, but just so people know what we're talking about. Let's get into the ages a minute. We just did an episode on ages as we were coming into episode 500. We've had Dylan Sicoccio on. And what we find is people coming at this from a lot of different directions. I think Dylan's idea is similar to yours and similar to what I accept now that the so-called age of Aquarius is some hundreds of years off right now. If you go by the spring equinox and you use Stellarium, you'll get a version of that. Uh, in the Hindu methods, which got me very interested, they're using the fall equinox. I think Dylan talks about sunrise, an hour before sunrise at a certain point. But there are all these ideas on how to determine the age. And what I have come to was actually published and I'll, you know, I'm not going to go over the whole thing. There's a guy named Yukteswar, Giri Yukteswar, and he wrote a book called Holy Science. And it's not a very big book. And there are about 12, 13 pages where he redefines the yuga cycles. And this was a big deal to me because four people from that lineage showed up on Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. So I knew it was a big deal. But suffice it to say, Athen, that I'm currently accepting what I think you're laying down, that we are probably three, four, five hundred years away from the so-called age of Aquarius. But what I am currently accepting is that as of 1900, by the way, this corresponds pretty closely with, um, with uh, the light of Egypt, where they're claiming an age change at 1881. Uh, but I, I accept currently that we're firmly in what we would call the Bronze Age in the West, what is called the Dwarpa Yuga or the Energy Age, that energy being electricity since 1900. So what's your view? I mean, I'm reasonably sure you're not using the Hindu definitions. You're going with the zodiacal. Just reiterate where you think we are in the so-called cycle of ages. Yeah. So, yeah, like I've been saying, uh, Age of Pisces. And just going by simply where the sun is during the spring equinox, right? And, you know, as you pointed out, you know, there's there's also a multitude of different ways to define, like, what we're considering the age. I mean, technically, you could say we're in the age of where the sun is during the winter solstice, for example. Of course, 
you know, depends on where you are in the world, of course, how you want to use that, because you could say that half the world is different, you know, northern, southern hemispheres. Um, so there's, you know, a lot of different ways to approach it. But if we're going through what is the most popular adaptation of it, which is the spring equinox, then as we've discussed before, you and I have discussed before, it's then a matter of, okay, do we take where the sun is literally or what comes before the sun, like what's rising before the sun rises during the spring equinox, right? Which would be the sign, in this case, the sign before because precession moves uh, backwards uh, in the opposite direction. So it goes Pisces and then Aquarius. But um, it depends on how much of a gap you take. So, you know, like you said, there's still hundreds of years of still being with the sun in Pisces during the spring equinox. So you can either take the sun as it is, which is what I, which is what I like to do because for me, it's just a little bit more exacting, but I totally understand. I know there's a lot of uh, ancient uh, uh, descriptions of using the rising constellation as well, but then it becomes a matter of, okay, well, how much variance do you give that, right? Because you could still say, since the sun is still so well-placed in Pisces, that Pisces still comes before because there's a huge gap, right? There's still, what is it like? I have to do the math, but I think it's still like 10 degrees of Pisces left or something like this. Like it's still quite a bit. So you could say we're still in Pisces in either case, whether it's we're taking the sun's position or we're taking the energy that comes before it. Um, so that's where I'm I'm firmly at personally is the age of Pisces because, you know, it borrows from both. But I do also understand the Aquarius thing uh, in the sense that Aquarius does come before Pisces. And so we would more visually see Aquarius rising uh, before the sun um, in the horizon. But then there's like this huge variance, like where do we actually draw that line? When do we start considering it Pisces? And when do we start considering it uh, Aquarius? And so in this case, I like to just use the most exacting which is just simply taking where literally the sun is during the spring equinox. And I like it because it's, it's forming, you know, the, the whole idea of procession is that it's, you know, measuring things based on the actual earth. So where's the sun literally during the spring equinox? Where's the sun literally during the winter solstice, for example? And that forms a nice structure and and it makes sense from like a mathematical standpoint in that it's very cyclical and it's very measurable. So that's how I like to approach it. And so in this case, yeah, I believe we're uh, very well set in the age of Pisces. And as you said, at least a few hundred years away. I mean, these calculations, um, like I said, there's still like 10 degrees of Pisces. So technically, we're looking at actually more like 700 and something years left with the age of Pisces. And just so everyone knows, you know, you know, the average um, length of each of these ages is about 2,200 years. If you go by the, you know, this idea of procession um, that it takes 26,000 years for the, any body in the sky to do one full revolution around the Zodiac uh, relative to the seasons in this case. So uh, 2,200 on average, depending on the size of the constellation, but Pisces is a very large constellation. And so the sun's been here since around a little bit before 0 AD. Okay. And this is very interesting too, because it gets into the ideas of like Christ and Buddha and stuff like this emerging just prior to that, because both like Christ and Buddha, for example, are very much Pisces energies, 
Pisces is about unconditional uh, acceptance, compassion, presence. It's very much spirituality. We went into the dark ages as well. Just after that, really got into religion after that. So all this stuff we've been seeing uh, since then has been very much Pisces. Um, but uh, but yeah, so Pisces is very large. And so we're in this age for quite some time relative to the average. And so in this case, yeah, we still have at least a few hundred, depending on how you calculate it. You know, about, say, probably closer to about 700, 750. Uh, we could even say like a thousand. So uh, still quite a bit of time for this age of, of Pisces. But one thing I do want to touch on is we are in a different house. And so there's a difference between signs and houses in astrology. And houses, in my opinion, should be divided ev- evenly uh, because they're representative of the sky and it's dividing the sky into 12 parts. Um, in that case, we've been in the 11th house, which is Aquarius's house. If you basically, if you were to make Pisces 30 degrees, it's basically what this is saying. If you were to make Pisces 30 degrees, we would technically be in the age of Aquarius. But it's not the actual sign of Aquarius because, again, the sun is still in Pisces, but it is the 11th house the uh, house of Aquarius. That's a critical point. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up, Ath. And I was going to actually ask you, well, what about the point of view of a tropical astrologer who would divide down to 30? So I think you've touched on right now some of the disagreements, but again, we need to work together, all of us. And, you know, I think every sidereal astrologer should know how much is owed to the tropical ideas for definitions and other things. But here's, let me outline, you, you mentioned that at one full cycle, is in in the more mainstream view or the more Western accepted view, maybe I shouldn't say mainstream, is 26,000 years. See, one thing I always expected is like, well, if there's an age change, shouldn't there be some big milestone, you know, like it's right on this series of eclipses or uh, there's some planetary, you know, I always think, wouldn't that be what you expect? But setting that aside in the redefinition of the old Hindu idea, which supposedly had become all out of shape and way too long during the so-called dark age when consciousness was more suppressed. In other words, the idea being the average person in world society had less consciousness to work with when the definition was set down. By the way, that definition is still found in Wikipedia, Encyclopedia Britannica, and things like this, which helped me make my decision. But what Yekteswar lays down matches ideas that I know you'll be familiar with. He says it occurs at the first degree of Aries every time. Now, I think he's using the fall equinox, but basically, if you visualize a wheel where dead center in the golden age is 12 o'clock high and dead center in the dark age is six o'clock low, from 12 o'clock high is 12,000 years to six o'clock low that whole time descending from a golden age. And each age is half the length of the one before it, the golden age being the longest, the transition periods also. So for each thousand years, there's a hundred year transition. So from six o'clock low back to 12 o'clock high, where you're going from the bottom dark age up is another 12,000. And what's interesting is Jacques de says approximately 24,000 years, which almost opens the door to it not being static, but there's a 2,000-year difference um, between the Western ideas and, and the other. But I really, truly appreciate, and I, I know you know the value of marking it at the first degree of Aries. 
And by the way, I would also point out if I comprehend enough here, which I may not, but I'll try, for those who consider that we're already in the age of Aquarius, based on what Athen had mentioned, that we would be in the last decan or the last 10 degrees of Pisces, if I comprehend what I have learned about these studies, is we would already be transitioning away from Pisces ideas and towards Aquarian ideas. So there's all that. What would you add? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, this, the zodiac should be seen more as a spectrum. And so we would have been in the apex, as in the very middle of Pisces, something like 10, about eight degrees ago. So this is one degree every 72 years. So if I do eight times 72, then, you know, something about five, six, probably closer to 600 years ago. And then since then, getting closer to the age of Aquarius. But it's very significant. I want to really stress the point that it's very significant that we are in the 11th house. And that's really when we've, so if you use this calculation, the one that I'm using, so just so everyone knows, um, the system I'm using is what I call the midpoint system. And it takes the midpoints between the last star of a constellation and the first star of the next, right? So it takes the halfway point between those. So in other words, there's usually almost to some extent, except for overlapping constellations, there's almost always a gap between these constellations, right? Between stars. And so that we're just taking the midpoint between the constellations, which is incredibly accurate visually, and it is exactly how you would see it. But sidereal, you know, mainstream sidereal, uh, by the way, you know, mainstream sidereal also uses 30 degrees. I want to make that clear, because you mentioned that tropical uses 30 degrees, but so does mainstream sidereal, as in Western sidereal and also Vedic sidereal use 30 degree constellations. So this is very different in that we're using true sidereal, which is the actual sizes. But but anyways, um, we're using the midpoint. And so if you use the midpoint method, then where we're starting the zero degrees Aries, where we're starting the zodiac, is about two degrees and 45 minutes before the first star of Aries. So this would be beta Aries or Sheraton, two degrees and 45 minutes before that. So that we would say is the halfway point because it's right in between Aries and Pisces. So if you take if you use that as a starting point, then we've been in this eleventh house because again that's where the houses would start, and so the twelve houses would be the exact thirty degrees from that. So we're past the thirty degree point because Pisces is again large constellation, um, and we've been in that eleventh house since the Industrial Revolution. So it is actually lining up perfectly, I think, with what we've seen uh, unfolding and what has been classified as the Age of Aquarius. We're seeing it really aligned very well with using this midpoint method in terms of being that ever since that industrial revolution, we've been in this 11th house. Okay, so that's about two, what is this? It's about almost about two degrees now into the um, into the 11th house. Okay, so we're talking late 1800s, early 1900s, the sun started to transition into the uh, into the 11th. So it's very significant because 11th house is the actual things of Aquarius. So I want to make this very clear because this is a huge distinction. We hear so much about signs. You know, everything's about the signs in astrology, you know, Pisces, Aquarius, all this. But houses are actually in astrology way more important. Like when you're doing like readings for people and stuff, like sure, you can be an Aries and a Pisces or whatever, like for your sun sign. But what house is that sun in? Because 
for those who've had readings or who are into astrology, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The, the houses are the most personal part of the chart. Uh, it's where the bodies were in the sky. It's the literal location, like not relative to the stars, but like where they are relative to like the Eastern and Western horizon, basically. And it's extremely personal. So in that sense, the houses are extremely important. And universally, most astrologers would agree that houses are way more personal and thus way more important than signs in astrology, generally speaking. So I want to make it clear that this 11th house is extremely important. And what's different from a house and a sign is that signs deal more with like qualities, like adjectives, like things describing things. Like a Pisces might be, like I said, receptive or intuitive or going with the flow and that kind of a thing. But the houses are the literal nouns, the what's in the astrology. So if you want to know about someone's like relationship life or career life or whatever, this is where you use the houses. So the 11th house is everything that is the nouns or the things of Aquarius. So technology, community, global matters, the literal things, not the qualities of that, because the qualities of Aquarius is like progressiveness and being a visionary. And you can see the similarities there, but it's not the qualities that we're developing. We're not developing collectively vision and progressiveness. We're still developing those Pisces qualities of receptivity and spirituality, but we are developing 11th house things. Literally, technology, innovation, community, global stuff, right? So, very important that we've entered the 11th house since then. And so, in that sense, we could just say we're in the age of Aquarius, as long as we understand the difference between houses and signs, and we understand that what we're actually in the age of is Aquarius's house, which are the actual things of Aquarius that will, that have been in development for this, you know, two degrees and will be in development for the next 28 degrees. You know, so in this case, we'll be in Aquarius's house for you know, 28 times 72, so something along the lines of the next 2,000 years. Okay, so so yeah, just wanted to uh, make that distinction because it's very important that we've been in this 11th house uh, since the Industrial Revolution. Isn't it interesting that it's 11? You know, we've covered so much about basic numbers, but I'm not going to go off on a tangent. I've got so many notes that I was writing while you were speaking, just so folks know. He mentioned beta Aries, and so folks should have an idea so they can visualize in their mind. In a Western tradition, the brightest star in Aries, it might have a name. Uh, it might not have a name. Usually the brightest ones do, but it would be Alpha Aries. The second brightest would be Beta, and it uses the old Greek alphabet to go through, just so folks know. But I'll make a point about star names right now. The whole entire Southern Hemisphere, there, it's a lost history, as far as I know. And it was randomly filled with almost meaningless names and objects by, you know, we've covered this in past episodes. But the star names that you can look up and know have been around for a long time, like if they're in Arabic and, and other, other names too, that is a good thing to learn by because in those languages, they have meaning, almost certainly. But I wanted to get into procession. It's a big deal. And according to the Hindu method of what age we're in that I'm currently accepting on the tail of a hell of a lot of work, I mean, over many years and then intensifying over the past, I don't know, nine, nine months or more. What do you think? So 
I guess we should describe. Mainstream thinks perception is the world is spinning like a top and it's wobbling. And that's what causes perception. What we know is true from many traditions is that the zodiac slips a degree every 72 years. And that's kind of, I mean, you can almost cause, you can almost relate that as the reason for an age, right? Why is anything changing? Well, that's part of the reason why things are not the same over and over again is because we're slipping a degree. Do you have a view on what causes perception? Do you accept the we're spinning like a top view or do you have some other view? No, I don't accept that one, but uh, I really don't know. You know, like uh, we've discussed before, I just like to stick with what I do know and what you know, right. what can be visually measured from my vantage point, my, my viewpoint. So, so I just stick with that. I'm okay, really not knowing exactly what it is, but uh, no, I don't. I don't just uh, accept that view with the top wobble thing. But yeah, that is the uh, mainstream. Uh, just you know, what do you say? Uh, their idea description excuse i don't know it's yeah, excuse well i can lay down what i've gleaned um which changed my view i don't know a few years ago i said exactly what you do i don't accept that description and what i was saying then is i assume it's just how the sky clock works it's built in you know like if you were thinking of a clock with gears there's a gear that does that but here's what i learned in the hindu method. And I was aware of it, but I know a lot more about it right now. And this is interesting based on the work I did. For those of you that have seen Shoot the Moon, I filmed a second body near the sun. Almost looks like a second sun or a reflection of the sun or whatever powers our sun. Who knows? But it's there and it's a body. At the time that I filmed it, I did not have that much experience with solar tools. So I was very cautious. Um, It has been authenticated, but in the Hindu idea, part of what causes the procession is that our sun has a binary. And that's interesting to me for obvious reasons, because I shot what maybe it could be the binary that I shot. Many people have seen at times I said, go look carefully at sundown and sun up when they're not chemtrailed out of view. And you can often see that second looks like a second sun. Basically, they say that the binary uh, we rotate around, but there's also a center of what they call God consciousness or the consciousness of the so-called universe. And that's what causes a golden age. So as we're in a dance with our binary, at times we get closer to that consciousness, which creates a golden age. And part of it has to do with ether being either way up in the atmosphere or coming much closer down to the surface where we are. That's a general description. And the only reason I'm bringing it up is because I think people should go grab Yokteswar's book. It's only 12 pages that starts to describe his refashioning and what I currently accept is probably correct about the ages. But the last part of that book is all about uh, the Western Christian tradition that is saying the exact same things as the Hindu tradition. That's what the back half of the book is about. But anyhow, that's what I wanted to lay down about procession. Now, the other thing I wanted to bring up in terms of a golden age, and I want to ask you, in the West, we've all been taught that things are linear, right? Uh, the way this had to have start started was there was an amoeba and it turned into a slime and it turned into something that swam and something that crawled with legs. And pretty soon we had cavemen and after cave, you know, that's, that's the idea that we are taught, but there's a problem with that because we could go around the world. India is a great place. Places in South America are great places where we'll just take India. There are some 
mind-blowing temples, I guess I'll call them, that are cut from a single piece of stone. In other words, had to be probably cut from the top down. It is perfect to, I mean, it's unbelievable how perfect it is. And we can't possibly imagine how that technology or what was used to do that, yet our mainstream is still saying, uh, well, clearly they had copper tools when everybody knows that's just, it's not possible. And to me, this underscores that we must have had uh, what basically something like a golden age, right? A higher age. We can't build these things. Even if we go down to Machu Picchu and look at how those stones were first lifted on top of a mountain where they came from, no one knows, presumably the bottom of the mountain somewhere. We can't possibly imagine how that was done. And so to me, that proves or helps to prove that we are cyclical. And from that time, we fell. Do you have any view in your astrology that we are cyclical in that way? In other words, did we truly once come from cavemen and it was just a linear progression and we get better and better and better and better? Or is something else going on from your perspective based on astrology? Yeah. uh, Well, you know, the way I see it is there's really like two schools of thought, I suppose. Like you have, okay, so so I'm big into Rudolf Steiner. I don't know how much your audience might be aware of, of, a lot. of, of who that a is. Lot. Okay. Yeah. So so yeah, I, I'm really big in his idea of uh, the Lucifer and Aramonic forces. And, and this idea that um, the Luciferic forces would be like the expansion. So this would be like the Jupiterian stuff. So this would be like the, the golden ages you're talking about. And like in Greek mythology, it'd be like when Jupiter was reigning over the gods at that time. But then there was also Kronos's age, which which came before that. And so this would be the more aramonic or the denser energies. So you have like Lucifer, what, what Steiner calls Luciferic energy, which we could say is Jupiterian energy, it's expansion. And then you have the Kronos, uh, or what uh, Steiner calls the aramonic, which in Greek would be like the Kronos or, or Saturn, uh, denser, bronze, heavier energies. Um, so, you know, you notice like from different philosophies, you've got this idea that either we like maybe you could say it's the more aramonic view that we've come from amoebas and like evolved coming from a denser state. And then but if then if you go to like something like Christianity or other religions, uh, especially in the West, uh, you'll see that then there's this idea of like the Garden of Eden and that actually we've fallen, that actually we were more spiritual and more advanced and we've actually kind of in a sense become denser. So you can kind of see it as like two schools of thought, either we were denser as in like single-celled organisms and became more evolved or spiritual, or that we came from a spiritual and kind of descended into it. And so I think these are just two different views, and I don't think it's that simple. I think it's a combination of both. And I really like what you said about it being cyclical because that's probably what it is. We go through these phases or ages where it's more harmonic at times, denser, the bronze ages, and then it's more luciferic at other times, which would be more spiritual or more expansive. And so, yeah, so I, you know, so in that sense, I think humanity, you know, I think it's kind of a bit silly uh, for us and scientists to try to put dates on, you know, these events in terms of what really happened uh, in the past. I think it's 
it's a control mechanism. I think we're, we're, yeah, we're coming around that it's a control mechanism to obfuscate some of the dating they do on some of the old structures. (laughs) You literally have to accept that this amazing thing that we couldn't possibly create today, nor could we lift some of the things today. uh, We're done with copper tools and you know, that, that problem doesn't go away, but for everyone listening, I know a lot of you have read Steiner. Go go check out some of Steiner's work, and it, it'll bleed over into Rosicrucian ideas. And while it's very interesting to see these points of view because they were particularly held away from general public knowing up until around, you know, hint hint, the 1900 changeover. And I've already mentioned that in the light of Egypt, they marketed 1881. So those are very close ideas. But let's start to pull over into, oh, I wanted to mention uh, in in much of the old Greek-Roman mythology, the original Golden Age happens under Saturnian ideas, though I'm not convinced that that's a, a, a direct correspondence to, uh, to Kronos. It may be, it may not be. But let's, you know, you have come on a number of times and uh, predicted things, one of which hit exactly on the day. I still remember, I think it was December 14, and it had to do with the arrival of the jab. And I have seen the most successful kind of predicting what the energies and likelihoods will be uh, from the sidereal community. By the way, before we get into that, there's an episode with Wayne McCroy, 418 that covers the human double and the aromonic luciferic force as put forward, I believe, by Steiner in that episode. But as we came in to 2023, there were a lot of astrologers online saying that things, the energies are flipping to our benefit. There were a lot of people saying this and for different reasons, and it would slowly come. But as we leave spring here and we get into that in-between time between spring and summer, or the height of summer, what do you feel like the energies are? What do you expect to see in the world? You see where I'm going? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so next year, uh, you know, I've been talking a lot about this. Uh, I think it it's not as um, talked about as it should be just generally like in society. Uh, well, mainly because they're using the mainstream and, and they're not using the actual constellations, but uh, it's very significant what we have going on really next year, but this year is really preluding to that. So I've been talking a lot about, you know, 2024, uh, Pluto and Uranus are changing signs. And um, it's very significant, like, you know, Pluto, uh, very slow moving in the sky. And the last time that he entered Capricorn, so he's entering Capricorn, basically now actually so he's going to get really close he's like basically right in between sagittarius and capricorn okay and anyone can look at this with like you know planetarium or something i advise everyone of course do that but he's right in between sag and capricorn and um he's about to go retrograde which is that he's visually appearing to go backwards uh, relative to the constellations and so he's not going to quite enter uh capricorn but he's going to get really close and then on may 1st which is really just i don't know when this uh, particular episode will be released, but uh, just in like what is it a week from when we're recording this? You know, he's going to go retrograde. He's going to go retrograde like right in between, like basically just touching, barely touching Capricorn. Um, so we're going to get a little bit of a sneak peek here. Uh, basically, anytime between now and the next few weeks, or we should say probably the next month, or you know, yeah, the next few weeks of um, 
what 2024 looks like. So May. So basically you're saying May, yeah. the month of May in 2023 is a prelude to what we'll see in 24. Well, late April and early May specifically. Um, basically the the weeks surrounding May 1st. Okay. Because, and maybe even literally on May 1st, uh, because sometimes the actual retrograde date uh, can be significant. Now it's not officially in Capricorn yet. So it is really just this little bit of like a sneak peek, but, but like I said, it's very important. The last time we had Capricorn enter, or excuse me, Pluto enter Capricorn uh, was in the late 1700s. And most more notably, it was during the late 1770s when the U S revolted against the monarch and, you know, the U S was established. This is the last time Pluto was here. And and this really marked a turning point, not only for the U S but the whole world, because that was the turning point when, you know, revolutions really started happening across the whole world. And we went from basically monarch forms of government uh, into more Republic, you know, and democratic uh, Republic types of government. All right. Freeze right there. Hold that idea. And I'm sorry for interrupting you, but I've got to point out that according to the Hindu method that I've currently accepted, we actually left the dark age, the ascending dark age in 1700. So it also lines up with it. Exactly what you're saying. 200 years firmly in, and I'm sorry for interrupting, but I wanted to get that in. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So very significant time here. So just so this is described a little bit easier uh, or understood a little bit easier uh, for those that may not be as astrologically uh, versed, uh, Capricorn's about structure. Okay. So it basically in, so all these signs are basically like life divided up into segments in a sense, a sort of energy of life. And we just, we try to just use astrology to try to describe life. I mean, that's all we're really trying to do. So Capricorn is the element of life that in this case, collectively uh, for everybody, because Pluto is going to Capricorn for everybody, uh, the collective energies of Capricorn are like literally our governments, uh, all the systems and structures that we rely on, including economic structures, uh, social structures, political structures, all this, you know, even, you know, major corporations, basically anything that forms the, the bedrock or the foundation of society. So Pluto is the planet of transformation as we've talked about before. And you can see why this is such a significant energy because you have this planet of transformation who's been in like Sagittarius, you know, for about the past 20 years. And so this has been transforming our Sagittarius side, but Sagittarius is more like beliefs and perspectives. And we've seen a lot of transformations to people's philosophies and worldviews and beliefs and like what you're doing with the podcast and all this stuff has really been very pivotal in society for these past, since Pluto has been set. So I'm not trying to downplay that, but when you have Pluto, this transformation going into something as solid and structural as Capricorn, you know, we really notice um, these changes in like the physical world and the external world. Whereas like Sagittarius, the, you know, you could notice how much our beliefs have changed societally, uh, but maybe hasn't played such a role uh, literally in the physical world as much. Although you could argue it has, but you are, are we talking money? So, so here we come to May 1st. This episode's going to go out after May 1st, but the weeks surrounding May 1st of 2023, are we talking money, laws? Do you have any idea? Uh, I mean, I, I get that you're saying it's foundational to society, but can you specify? It's all of the above. So, if you know, if you, so again, our best reference is the last time this happened. 
And you can, you can do this cyclically too, by the way. So this is about every 250 years. So for those that want to, you know, kind of look at history, it, it's an incredible pattern, actually, because then prior to that was the age of enlightenment. Okay. And so there's like all these series, very important times where we go through major shifts uh, in how we structure society. So no, it's all of the above. Uh, now, financially, there's another piece to it because Uranus is going into Taurus. And so I don't want to scatter things too much just yet, but I do want to talk about that at some point because Taurus is literally the money and Uranus is innovation and stuff. And so he is, Uranus is also changing sign, like I was saying. But to answer your question about the Capricorn, it's really all of the above. And that's why I think it's so important right now to pay attention to what kind of narratives we're going to start to see. Because remember, I, I do believe that the elite are using this energy and not only that, but you know, there are these cycles. And so I think it's very important to kind of, you know, just be aware, you know, these next few weeks, see, see, see what the narrative is, see what is perhaps being introduced, what is starting to change, what the collective mindset is and all this, because that's going to give us some more tangible description of, of what this is. But, but it's really all the above. I mean, if you think about how much changed coming out of that 1770s, I mean, it was financial. It was, you know, the most notable, I would say, is probably political, like the governments and stuff. But I don't know if how much of that is, you know, because this is from text, like my knowledge of the history is like so much from textbooks and stuff. And it's like so biased and so skewed. I mean, we really don't know how much really changed at that time. But astrologically, all of the above in that sense. But uh, fundamentally, I would say, you know, societally, we're talking about basically the systems and structures that we built society around, whether that's our governments, whether that's economic structures. These are the things that are for sure, in my opinion, without a doubt, going to be starting to go through that transformation process. Well, France was a world leader, we are told back then, and that government got its head cut off in that period of time. But you brought up an interesting idea. There's so many things I want to jam and I don't want to pull us off this thread, but I wanted to mention you're talking about Pluto. Pluto seems to have been related to 9-11 and then it was quickly demoted after the fact. You know, oh, this is no longer a planet. It doesn't matter. Don't look at this anymore. But do you recall back to 9-11, Pluto playing a major role? I remember us talking about that on one of the earlier episodes, but I can't recall exactly. I did I did look it up and there was there was something significant. Yeah, I just can't remember exactly what it was. Well, I don't want to pull us off this. So we're the weeks around May 2023, already the bogus news cycle. I think right now they're saying things like some ridiculous debt ceiling has been put into the quadrillions, gazillions of dollars or something. But we're all waiting for the announced kind of Fed now, which is supposedly nothing to do with CBDCs and these other things. In other words, I think we know certainly, Athen, that more changes in the offing over the next, you know, into in through the end of 24, because so many of the documents that have been published in the world are saying by 2025. Plus, I have people who are kind of in the know who tell me that so many benchmarks have been set for by 2025. And I think this is a critical thing to point out in Shoot the Moon. You know, I basically state that all these things are being done by power and it's being done to the sky clock. Between now and summer, do you see any significant events that bear zeroing in on? Nothing that's, you know, particularly, I mean, obviously what I just said there is in my opinion, but nothing uh, significantly standing out. The, the There will also be the Uranus sneak peek 
2024, because like I said, they're both changing sign. And so Uranus will do his retrograde right up, right in between, it just happens to be this way, right in between Aries and Taurus. And so uh, Uranus uh, will do that around August 28th, August 29th. Uh, so that's going to be a sneak peek into particularly the financial piece of all this. And by the way, just so everyone has the dates for next year, because I didn't reference that. So uh, Pluto will officially start to enter Capricorn February of, of next year. And um, Uranus will officially, well, let me let me rephrase. So Pluto will actually go into Capricorn February of next year and then officially in December. Okay. And then Uranus will officially and start to, so he's a little faster, uh, in May. Okay. So we have February, Pluto, this is all next year. February, Pluto dips in Capricorn for the first time, uh, goes retrograde, then we'll officially, okay, then Uranus will come in May into, into Taurus, which is the financial piece, which we'll, which I'm going to talk about. And then officially Pluto goes into Capricorn in December. Okay, so so those are the dates. Uh, but yeah, Uranus is going to is gonna do his sneak peek there. So that'll be important. I mentioned this, I think, in the last episode too, to kind of you know pay attention to that late August time, those weeks surrounding there, because that's going to give us a big peak as well. So, uh, so yeah. And, and so you mentioned like the fed now and stuff. And so this is, I mean, this, so this is where, you know, you can get a lot more exacting with astrology because there is a lot going on in the like technological sphere of the sky clock. Um, so Saturn just entered Aquarius just last February and so we started to see, you know, a lot of things ramping up with like the AI and stuff like this. And I'm expecting that over the next two years because Saturn will be in Aquarius for the next two years. Now, this is much more cyclical. Uh, the last time this happened was in the early 90s, 94, I believe, when he started to enter. That's where like the internet really, you know, like chat and the internet and email and stuff really started to take off. So we're going to see very similar things generally, you know, I think with um, technology the information age type stuff that we saw in the early to mid nineties, we're going to see it very similar in that ramping up um, these next couple of years, uh, but that's Saturn. So, so there's Saturn and Aquarius and that's Saturn, the builder uh, building, uh, working with all this Aquarius stuff. We, you know, so Aquarius, so innovation, technology, all this, um, but Uranus is that Aquarius energy. Uh, that's the planet that is associated with that Aquarius. And so that's the one that's going into the financial area of Taurus where we get that sneak peek in May, or excuse me, sneak sneak peek in uh, August of this year, and then officially May of next year, is uh, this innovative energy is going into Taurus the bull, the constellation that literally rules over money and finance and even gold. And, you know, basically like, it's usually more on the hard assets side of things, but- Bullion, right? Bullion, which is bull and lion pulled together. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, or like we talked about last time, like the bull market, Yep. You know, yeah. So yeah, so that's where a lot of innovation is going. And so this is, yeah, where we can get much, much more exacting with the interpretation in that, yes, we can see that there's societal structures, but there's a lot going on in the tech sector and in the financial sector, not from the Pluto itself, but from these other things that we've got going on. So um, again, let's see, you know, it could be that, you know, they do announce it in, you know, for implementation in August or something. Um, but there's definitely going to be, I believe, and for like a good solid, what it'll be with Uranus, like for Uranus, uh, about 10 years, sort of talking, you know, into the 30, 2030s, 
but uh, you know, more of this innovative energy regarding finance. So there is, of course, the whole elite political thing, like the Fed now and maybe CBDCs and all that. There's, of course, also the more free market or like individual uh, approach to it, which would be like maybe blockchain and stuff like that. But either way, uh, I think on both spheres, we're going to see a lot of this using technology and finance and a whole transformation and change to the yeah to the financial system. And I think these are the key dates. Uh, I think it's very close. Uh, and I've been talking about this for years before they, they announced the, the 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 Fed now and all this stuff. And where everyone was saying it might be happening a lot sooner, like you know, I was really looking at this twenty twenty four. Now it's more and more looking like like this will likely be. The year of implementation. So those are the dates, and um, you know, again, it's about using the astrology in a way that's going to benefit everyone and give more power to the individual. In my opinion, I think I think that's the best way to utilize the astrology. But it's also helping us see, okay, you know, maybe what some of these agendas are, and then the timeline, the dates that some of this stuff could be rolled out, or you know, when they're using the energy, as we've discussed. So next two years with Saturn and Aquarius in general, with technology and all that. And then Uranus, the innovative planet, going into the sign of Taurus, the bull, transitioning here next year. So very significant from the technological and sort of innovative side of things. Oh, not to mention that Jupiter's going in there, but I don't want to add too much. Jupiter's going to follow Uranus in there. So that's actually going to create a lot of opportunities for people. But but yeah, just strictly speaking in terms of the most uh, important events, yeah. All right. Well, in hour two, I want to pick up on the Jupiterian benefiting us ideas, both in this year and the next. We're coming to the top of the hour here, and I just want to recap. So we're going to get a sneak preview May 1, 2023, and the surrounding weeks of what may be going on next year. In terms of the other things he mentioned, in August on the 28th and 29th, We will get a preview of what will be going on February 2024 and May. Well, February is Pluto and May, which will be Uranus in 2024. So this year, August 28, 29, giving us that preview. Athen, please tell us where we can find you and your work and quickly tell us what it is that you do for folks. It's all you, Athen. Yeah, so masteringthezodiac.com. Uh, all kinds of resources there for what I call true sidereal astrology. Uh, there's a chart calculator where you can type in any date, uh, your birth date, or even like these future dates or whatever, and see exactly uh, where these uh, luminaries will be in the sky uh, during these times. And uh, resources there for learning astrology. There's courses. I also do readings uh, for individuals and also a uh, YouTube channel. Uh, well, really, it's all on the website. And, um Try to veer off uh, the YouTube thing. So, so all, all on the website, masterinzodiac.com. I also have weekly forecasts, um, you know, looking at the upcoming uh, weeks and uh, also articles for stuff like we talked about today. Like there's an article there um, about the Pluto, um, what is actually the Pluto return or the US, but uh, very much what we talked about today. And the uh, what I will be writing on is that Uranus coming up soon as well. But yeah, all the uh, resources at uh, masteringthezodiac.com. All right. So for everybody listening, Athens trying to pull away from social media, which everybody who does this needs to. If you have an interest in this, go support his private website. These will be the last bastions, depending on how far we go down this road. 
where we can defend conversations that don't jive with mainstream. Of course, if you're on someone else's platform, you're at their whim. Jason, anything you want to add in before we wrap up hour one of episode 501 with Athen? So we can touch on this in hour two if you have something you want to comment on this. We know that the elite or whatever you want to call them almost certainly know more about this stuff than those of us outside those kind of circles do. But do you ever see signs of major corporations, especially ones that are uh, very front-facing to the general public, like Disney or Apple or Microsoft, anybody like that, does it seem like they do things with those energies to their advantage and possibly our disadvantage? Mm -hmm. So I made a note about that. We're going to pick up an hour or two. And just to make the point, I mean, it's as plain as day. When you go to the money center of this country, uh, what is the market? It's described as a bull market. That's lifted straight from the sky clock, but it goes back way before that. If I'm holding a bar of gold, what's it called? Bull yun. That's the word bull and the word lion or the zodiacal ideas brought together. With that, I'm going to bring hour one of episode 501 to a close. We're going to prep up, come back in hour two, and we're going to focus in on the things Jason just laid down about what the elites may know in the operation of their major corporations, which are making a run to take over the world. And additionally, I want to focus in on the beneficial energies that each of us so-called commoners, men and women, have at our benefit right now. And there are some advantages that can be used. Hour one is free to everybody at pro777radio.com. That is C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. Members know to log in for the full episode, and they also get free access to Shoot the Moon, which is a two-hour film covering all my telescope work. Additionally, I am working towards getting a very big solar telescope up and operational as we head into the summer here. It's all quite complicated. With that, I hope to see you all over at the website for hour two, and I would like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. Cheers.
belief is the enemy of knowing.